In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, good morning. My name is Father Ben. I'm one of the rectors here at the table. Uh, it's lovely to see all of you today. Um, today's Christ the King Sunday, as Spencer mentioned earlier. Yep, it deserves a whoop, so it's good. It is the last Sunday of the liturgical year. It is the culmination also of our journey with Jesus in Luke's gospel. He set his face toward Jerusalem for this reason, to save the world by being enthroned as king, but not in a way that anyone expected, not on a throne of precious metals and stones, but on a Roman cross, not through political maneuvering or cunning consolidations of power, but through becoming a victim of those terrified of losing their status. Lifted up, not in worldly splendor or a show of force, but in shame and humiliation, ridiculed as a common criminal, but in being enthroned in this paradoxical way, he became the savior of the world. And now, Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is Lord of heaven and earth. Beloved, his sovereignty is love. And his strength is the power of the cross, a life laid down in vulnerability to bring salvation to all. This is the power that is transforming the world, reconciling all things, enacting justice, making peace. Where do you see this power at work in the world today? Church, let us rejoice and rest in the majesty of the God who shares our flesh and leads us into life. Amen? Joel's song that he wrote uh, preached the good news before I got a chance to get up here, (laughs) which is beautiful. I am not sure that we understand what a gift that is. Um, Thank you, Joel. Uh, Yeah, that song got me. Our text from Jeremiah cries out, woe to the shepherds. It's this cry of outrage and protest at the self-serving rulers of Israel who have abused their God-given authority and brought harm to the people. And the prophet promises that God's going to deal with the unjust shepherds and he's going to raise up a righteous branch, a king who rules with justice and shepherds the people into flourishing. And of course, in our readings in Luke's gospel, we've seen that The people were wondering if Jesus was perhaps this Messiah, this king, this promised righteous branch, this one who was going to come and and lead the people into this flourishing because he was confronting injustice. He was bringing healing and deliverance to the poor. He was ministering in the wisdom and in the power of God. But he was also confounding all of these expectations in his refusal to take power in the ways that people were expecting someone in his position to take power. Maybe through armed rebellion, he refused. Maybe through political intrigue, he kept making decisions that didn't make any sense. All of it is building towards this point in Luke's gospel that we read today. The ultimate paradox. Jesus, the one we hoped would save Israel, falsely accused and led away to be hung on a cross as a criminal. 
The people's expectations about power and how it works are heard in the cry that happens three times in this very short passage. If you are the king, save yourself. First spoken by the religious rulers who say, let him save himself if he is the king. And then the Roman soldiers say, if you are a king, save yourself. And finally, the first criminal to speak, who has been crucified with him, says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us while you're at it. But notice the assumption here. The power to save oneself, to preserve one's own life, is the definition of power. It's the definition of lordship. If you really had power, the first thing you'd do is save yourself. Self-preservation is the first order of business for those who rule through domination. First order of business. And so... These characters in this story all see Jesus' suffering and death as the ultimate denial of his divine vocation as Savior and King. But notice that Jesus, even here in this most humiliating and vulnerable moment, acts as Israel's King, forgiving enemies, promising salvation, right up there on the cross. Jesus had no need to curry favor with Pilate or Herod or the Jewish rulers to bargain for his life. He does not need to defend himself because his kingdom is not enacted through coercion or violence, nor can it be effectively opposed by violence. The cross, then, is not the repudiation of Jesus' kingship, but precisely how his kingship is worked out. Jesus is the king who accomplishes salvation as the suffering one. Jesus operated with a completely different power and paradoxically on the cross undoes death by his death. He is enthroned as king even while being mocked for having no power. He is saving the world by refusing to save himself. And now Jesus Christ The crucified one is Lord of heaven and earth. Beloved, his sovereignty is love. And his strength is the power of the cross. It's a life laid down in vulnerability to bring salvation to all. This is the power that is transforming the world. It's reconciling all things. It's enacting justice. It's making peace. Where do you see this power at work in the world today? Church, let us rejoice and rest in the majesty of the God who shares our flesh and leads us into life. This victory in kingship is what Paul proclaims in our reading from Colossians. In Jesus, all things were created and held together. He is the firstborn from the dead, a prototype of the resurrection, the head of his church leading the way through death into life. And in him dwells all the fullness of God, and through his cross, God has reconciled all things to himself. Everything that was lost or broken by sin is now brought back, healed, raised to life again. As Sam Gamgee wonders aloud to Frodo in Lord of the Rings, is everything sad coming untrue? Yes, in Jesus, in the cross of Jesus, it's happening. So it's not... 
friends, that the cross was this unfortunately necessary detour in God's plan for ruling and reigning over all things. It's not that Jesus came the first time in weakness and vulnerability, but the second time he's going to kick butt and take names. The cross was not an embarrassing, temporarily necessary hiccup that we can all just leave behind us now. We can move past it now. No, the cross reveals who God is and has always been. The cross shows us how God rules and reigns. The cross makes manifest the power of sovereign love to undermine and ultimately dismantle the power of domination and control. And so today we celebrate this victory, this lordship, even in places where it seems like evil has won, because we know that God's power works through the cross, and that sovereign love hasn't yet finished with its work in our world. So we don't pretend that suffering evil don't exist. Of course not. We acknowledge them. We lament. We cry out to God. But we also rejoice and we rest in the deeper truth of Jesus' lordship of love that has overcome death. And ultimately, we'll see that plainly. This hope is the strength of God's power that makes us strong, like the Colossians, to endure patiently joyfully giving thanks to God the Father who has enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So in the end, Jesus is the promised king, the one who is gathering the remnant, those mistreated by the leaders who were supposed to care for them. Jesus is the righteous branch, ruling and reigning in sovereign love, enacting justice and righteousness, saving us and bringing us into safe pasture. So don't be afraid little flock, though the coastline quakes and the mountains shake and disappear into the waves, there is a river whose currents flood the city of the Most High with joy that overcomes the darkness of the darkest night, as Joel put it, riffing on the psalmist. The power of God's sovereign love cannot be undone by anything the world throws at it. Not disaster or war or violence or oppression, not injustice, not the collapse of society, (laughs) not even death. This is the truth that the second criminal in our passage glimpsed and noticed and saw. Looking into and onto a landscape that seemed devoid of any other kingdom but the cruel oppression of Rome, somehow this common criminal, this nobody, recognizes that Jesus truly is a king and that his kingdom doesn't work like the kingdoms of this world and can't be overcome by the crushing cruelties of Roman oppression and that this king is actually ruling and reigning even from his ironic position on a cross. He sees that in Jesus a different kind of power is at work and he asks to be included in it. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And of course, Jesus, full of grace, acting as king, says, so it shall be. Of course, today you'll be with me in paradise. Just like all of the other marginalized people in Luke's gospel, the second criminal shows us the way, revealing remarkable insight into the identity and power of Jesus and the nature of God's kingdom. Can we see it today? 
church. Even in circumstances that seem to defy it. Circumstances and situations that taunt and ridicule like the rulers, like the Roman soldiers, and like the first criminal on the cross. If Jesus is king, why doesn't he do something about this? But beloved, we see that the kingdom of God doesn't come all at once for everyone to see at the same time. It doesn't come through coercion or violence. It's wheat growing up among weeds. It's a seed that slowly grows. It's leaven in a lump of dough. But it's here. It's here, and it can't be stopped. It can't be stopped. It's a done deal. The power of God's sovereign love is at work. It's always working, quietly, hiddenly. And before you know it, the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Wherever you see peace being made, the majesty of Christ is transforming the world. Wherever you see justice being enacted, the majesty of Christ is transforming the world. Wherever you see reconciliation being accomplished, the majesty of Christ is transforming the world. I saw it in a young woman this week who is learning in the midst of a patriarchal system that her voice matters. And she is speaking up in places where she was afraid to speak. She's going through her naturalization ceremony so that she can become a citizen, and be a voice for her undocumented friends who don't have a say in our civic life. Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in her life and through her life. I saw it last week as well in another woman who was celebrating that for the first time in her life she has friends and colleagues who are standing with her as she speaks out for racial justice in her church. God's kingdom is coming. Jesus Christ ruling and reigning there. Beloved, let's learn today from this second criminal, this unnamed brigand. Let's learn today to see the quiet, hidden ways that Jesus' lordship of love is already here and already transforming the world. This is how Jesus rules and reigns and how all things are going to be reconciled to God, even the systems and structures that we're entangled with that cause so much harm in the world. Where do you see it at work? Let's take a moment in silence, and I just invite you to name in God's presence where you see Jesus ruling and reigning. You can name it out loud. You can name it silently. Let's take a moment to do this together, and then we're going to confess Jesus' lordship over all these things. Amen. Beloved Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is Lord of heaven and earth. His sovereignty is love, and his strength is the power of the cross, a life laid down in vulnerability to bring salvation to all. This is the power that is transforming the world, reconciling all things, enacting justice, making peace. 
Let's rest and rejoice. Let's rejoice and rest in the majesty of the God who shares our flesh and leads us into life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.